Hello, and welcome to the Power Your Advice podcast. The Power Your Advice podcast is designed to bring financial advisors new ideas, why those ideas should be considered, and how to implement them into your business. This podcast is brought to you by Advisorpedia, the best place for advisors to grow their minds and businesses. And now, please join your host, Doug Heikinen. Hello, we're at our fall pop-up podcast center in New York City, and I'm excited to spend some time with Rick Bookstaber, who's the co-founder and head of risk at Fabric, a company that provides advisors with insight into market risk that deepens the advisor-client relationship. Rick is also the author of a highly acclaimed book, The End of Theory, Financial Crisis, The Failure of Economics, and The Sweep of Human Interaction, which you can certainly find at Amazon. Welcome, Rick. Uh, Thank you. Great to be here. What exactly is Fabric? So, um, well, first let me give you a little bit of background and context for how it started. Yeah, that'd be great. So the genesis of Fabric goes back to the 2008 crisis. I was asked to work in the U.S. Treasury to improve the financial system, which obviously needed some work at that point. And from my vantage point there, I saw that the focus was really on banks, but the real pain was felt by individuals. Uh, So I turned my focus there towards individuals, towards asset owners. And the next stop I had after Treasury was at the University of California. Uh, Jack D. Botcher, who's the CIO, and I had a meeting of minds in terms of the need to improve risk management for asset owners. So I worked there as the chief risk officer, and the work there, and it's a big fund. The pension endowment there is almost $200 billion, surprisingly. That's huge. Yeah. And so that's where I built the foundation for Fabric. And the University of California is uh, a part owner of Fabric now. So so this gets to the where Fabric sits. This gets to the essence of Fabric. Fabric's a platform for risk-aware portfolio design. I built Fabric so advisors can access the portfolio risk and technology that right now is mostly available to large financial institutions. And it's been set up so it's useful for individual investors, so it can be customized for the needs of investors. What do you mean by risk-aware portfolio design? The foundation for it is risk management, but when you look at the advisory community and you think about portfolio management, mostly what people think about is uh, performance reporting and trade execution. And these are important, but they're not really leading to the building of portfolios and the rebalancing of portfolios to meet individuals' objectives. Sometimes advisors go to TAMPS to outsource this, and what we've done is created technology that allows advisors to do it themselves in a way that's a lot more customizable. So that's what I mean by portfolio design and rebalancing. In terms of risk-aware portfolio design, uh, what we're doing is building and maintaining portfolios with an understanding of risk. Uh, A good example of this, I worked with Ray Dalio at Bridgewater, and their key product there is the all-weather fund, and that all-weather fund really builds from the bottom up through being risk-aware to focusing on risk rather than just returns. In terms of being risk-aware, what type of risk does Fabric measure? 
risk for advisors is a lot different from the types of risks that you see with banks or hedge funds or trading desks. It's more than just managing returns. You know, you want to deal with market risk and portfolio risk, but you also have plan risk, changes in the risks of an individual as they go through their life, uh, their life circumstances change. So being risk aware is not just looking at returns and looking at the portfolio. It's doing it within the context of the individual. And this is why a lot of risk management approaches fail when they're airlifted into the advisory area. It's kind of like clapping with one hand. You can deal with the uh, returns, but if you aren't looking at it in the context of the individual's risk, you're kind of missing half the picture. I see from your website, which is fabricrisk.com, that Fabric is powered by MSCI's factor model. How are you utilizing factors from a risk perspective? So risk factors are really the elements of risk for any asset. You want to know what industry it's in, what country it's exposed to, what sort of styles it's related to, you know, momentum, value versus growth, high cap versus low cap. The risk risk factors really are a better way of understanding the risk of an asset and the risk of a portfolio because, first of all, the risk factors thread across assets. Uh, You might have two assets that actually are related in ways that aren't immediately apparent, but if you look that they share a particular risk factor, whether they're in the same industry, whether they have the same exposure to China, then you have a better sense of their risk. The other thing that's nice about risk factors is usually a handful of factors can explain 80 or 90% of the risk of a portfolio. So instead of trying to figure out what's going on with 500 assets, you can focus on, say, 10 uh, factors, and the factors are intuitive, and they're, they're easy to therefore communicate and discuss with a client. Um, now, there's a lot of different approaches to factors, but we use the MSCI multi-asset factor model, Uh, MSCI is kind of the core of factor technology. And it covers not only public assets like, you know, equities, fixed income, you also can look at private assets. So illiquid and difficult assets, uh, private equity, real estate, also can be treated in a way that works within the overall portfolio. So is there technology that is around this whole risk management system? So there's technology, first of all, which we bring to us through our partnership with MSCI on factors. We then have technology internally that we've built ourselves. Uh, We have a factor simulation model. So we can take assets, convert them into their raw risk elements, do risk analysis on that, and then reconstitute the assets from that. And we also use uh, a, what's called an agent-based modeling approach so that we can look at the dynamics of the portfolio over time. Uh, if you're a hedge fund or a trading desk, you know, you care about risk over the next week, next month or two. But if you're an individual, you care about what's going to be going on years into the future. And you can't just look at the last two years behavior of the market and get a good read on that. Uh, you have to understand the twists and turns, the ups and downs that a market might take over 5, 10, maybe even 20 or 30 years. So if you don't have a, a model that can incorporate the way the markets move dynamically, you're going to really miss the point 
for individuals where you have to concern yourself with what's going on decades into the future. The brain power behind this is fascinating and impressive, but what type of actionable insights are you giving clients? So what we've found uh, with clients is kind of the use cases you might think about. You know, I mean, actionable means what do you do with it. You know, insight means what are things that you can see that you wouldn't see otherwise. So, mm-hmm. so the sort of use cases are, first of all, is your portfolio deviating from an intended goal? Or is it deviating from some target portfolio? And you can see, is it deviating based on differences in risk factors? Because otherwise, I mean, if you say, I have this asset rather than that asset, you don't know. Are, are those two more or less equivalent or not? So we look at, do things deviate based on factors? The other thing is how will recommendations I may be making to my client really uh, change their portfolio? Will it even move the needle? Uh, And could there be kind of secondary effects in what I'm thinking of doing? And then the third thing is how will the market be affected by bad scenarios, by bad events? So if a client is concerned about stagflation, say, you can look at on the basis of a scenario and see how that scenario might affect the client. And, and so you can kind of take the action of changing your portfolio to allow it to better face emerging uncertainties. So let's back up a little bit. Without fabric, how would clients traditionally manage risk or how are they doing it? So there's, there's really three things that they focus on, which I think maybe cause problems. Uh, One is a lot of times they summarize risk by a number. And risk is more than a number. It's a narrative. It has to look at the twists and turns of the market over time. It's not like your risk is X. Your risk isn't an X right now. It's going to shift over time. And they come to the number by just looking at what risk the portfolio has been over the last couple of years. We say past performance is not indicative of future results. Everybody knows that mantra. Well, past risk is not indicative of future risk. You know, you're kind of looking through the rearview mirror with a lot of conventional methods. And finally, as I mentioned before, the focus is on the portfolio as opposed to the interactions uh, between the portfolio and the individual. The reason this happens, by the way, is most risk methods are used for advisors are based on, it really are brought into what they do from what was used for banks, hedge funds, portfolio managers. And as I mentioned, they only need to look at returns. And they look at returns over the short term. So if suddenly you're saying, wait a minute, I have a client who's looking at maybe even decades, and he has his own risks, then you're sort of starting off with the wrong base. We've seen a lot of talk about risk management within crypto. Is this equity fixed income risk only or can you manage things like crypto and other things? Well, we can manage you know, public assets. Um, we, we basically have a, a set of hundreds of thousands of assets where through MSCI we've mapped the factors. So if it's a public asset, it's in there. I mean, uh, you know, maybe there's some exceptions, but I doubt it. But we also can look at private equity and other private assets, like we can look at hedge funds, real estate, because the factor model has also been used there. And that's really important because a lot of times private assets and real estate 
have to be put into different buckets because you can't mark them to market. They have different liquidity. But through factories, you can say, wait a minute, all of these share certain factors so we can look at the total risk. Like when I was at University of California, we had uh, a big investment in a uh, office building in Menlo Park. Well, that's real estate, but it's also got exposure to technology. It also has exposure to the general area of Silicon Valley. So we don't look at that as just an investment in real estate. We look at an investment in real estate that has where you have to combine its exposure with other technology exposure we have. Even though it's not liquid, it's not marked to market. Um, in terms of crypto, uh, we don't have crypto in there. We might be able to do it, but the problem with crypto is it's not really an asset. Uh, it has no basis in value. You know, should, uh, should Bitcoin be worth $500, $20,000, half a million dollars? I don't know. It, it only is worth whatever... Uh, it's worth based on how enamored other people are with it. It's really working off of the greater fool theory. So we can, I can give you an, an argument for how you should treat crypto as an asset. I mean, basically, it looks like equity. I mean, it's supposed to not look like equity, but it does look like equity. And so you should probably treat it the way you would any other stock, which suggests you shouldn't be having five or 10 or 20% in it. It should be you know, a pretty modest part of your portfolio, but obviously I'm a, a skeptic. With what just happened in the UK with pension funds, liquidity, especially on the fixed income side of the things, this has been a big discussion point. Is it something you're monitoring? What's going on with pensions or has been going on in the UK really is its own thing. Uh, I don't think it's really transferable to the risk we would have in the U.S. The reason it's occurring there is a mix of leverage and through the leverage illiquidity. Uh, pension funds there try to do what's called liability asset matching. So they have liabilities. They try to build assets to match them. In the U.S., insurance companies tend to do that, but pensions don't because they understand that if you've got a liability out 20 and 30 years, equities is going to be better for, for matching that because you can take risk in the interim. But, but the problem they have is they can't find assets. They can't find bonds that really match those long-term liabilities. So they have to take a shorter maturity, a shorter duration bond. And to give it the kick you need to match that longer-term liability, they have to lever it. They have to uh, borrow money to put more into it. That normally is okay, but if rates go way up, uh, you can get a margin call. Somebody say, wait a minute, your leveraged assets are not worth what they were before. You, got, you have to give us more money. And the only way the pension fund can get them more money is by selling. Now, if one individual is selling, fine. But if you have a huge swath of the capital and market selling, then you get prices dropping. If prices drop, you have to provide even more margin, so we have to sell even more, and you get this cycle going down. So that's really the issue uh, behind uh, what's going on in the UK with pensions. But there is a lesson there, um, and that lesson usually exists in the US in hedge funds, because hedge funds is where most of the leverage is. You can get what is called a leverage liquidity event, where, again, the market drops, that forces uh, margin calls, which leads to liquidation, which leads to the market dropping even more, and you get this downward spiral. 
And it's something that's very difficult to monitor because day to day, the markets are really you know, pretty liquid. But when there's a flood of selling, it's a different story. And so that's another thing that we can monitor using these agent-based models. You know, what's happening is kind of like a panic in a nightclub. If you look day to day, people come in and out, it looks like everything's fine. You can't model by observing what's happening day to day what the exits might look like uh, if you have a rush of people going through. You, you have to understand that if you're really going to get a handle on the material risks of the market, the, the times that market risk really matters, and, which is not day-to-day risk. It's during these times of major dislocation. Fabric has to be a company that's continually evolving and learning to provide better insights. Would you say so? That's really where our DNA sits. Um, my background, you know, as you know, has been in risk management for years, and I've developed various methods and technologies that are used in places I've worked. Uh, you know, Morgan Stanley, various hedge funds. I built a model for the U.S. Treasury to help assess financial vulnerabilities. So we're constantly improving. We are basically a set of engineers. We have people who have PhDs in statistical physics. We have people who have MFEs from, uh, for example, University of California's Berkeley program. And what we're doing is taking a lot of what, again, typically has been done to increase the horsepower in institutions and putting it into a form that can be used for individuals, for advisors and their clients, where you're managing in a customized way, you're managing over a very long time frame. Are you having a good time? Yeah, for me, this is great. Of course, I've enjoyed a lot of positions I've been in. I've had a, a career that I am really happy with. I've worked with great people at different firms. You know, now I'm at a point that some people say, oh, you know, you should be retiring now. Although actually nowadays, you know, people tend not to retire. And so to be able to go out and do this and provide something for advisors and individuals is really very fulfilling. It, it has more of a kind of social value role because what finally happens, again, when you have a crisis like 2008, it's the single mother in Des Moines losing her house. It's the young couple losing their house in Las Vegas. That's where the rubber meets the road. Now, I'm not quite there yet. I'm working with individuals who have uh, enough money that they have an advisor to help them out, but the same concept is there, that people can be protected. They have security. They can put money away to maintain their lifestyle over time. Maybe they have enough to reach for aspirations, and that's a very fulfilling area to be in now. Well, as I mentioned, it's an incredibly impressive platform, which you can visit at Fabric risk.com. So Rick, thanks for joining us and we really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on. We'd like to thank our friends at Jay Connolly for hosting the podcast center. Please follow us for timely updates on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all at Advisorpedia. For everybody at Advisorpedia, our producer, Julia Smolin, and the Power Your Advice podcast team, this is Doug Heikinen.